Welcome to another edition of Ecumenical Musings, where we look at the life and work of ecumenism in Australia and other parts of the world. I'm Richard Tewton, and it's a pleasure to be with you once more. A lot has been happening in the world as this episode was being prepared. Russia and the Ukraine are at war, while southeast Queensland and northern New South Wales are slowly recovering from a large and highly unusual weather event that has caused much destruction and flooding. So, I thought it would be a good idea to focus on an elusive and fragile gift that lies at the heart of how we respond to such events. Both events are soul-destroying and destructive, as well as destroying property such as buildings, businesses, homes, education facilities and infrastructure. It also destroys people's abilities to respond and take in what has and is occurring, not to mention the total dislocation of their lives, along with the deaths of friends and loved ones. Buildings and infrastructure can be rebuilt, but assisting people to recover from what are really tragic times takes a lot longer and may never really be concluded. That is why I've given this episode the title Peace, that elusive and fragile gift. Churches talk about peace a lot. The main reason for this is that peace is mentioned quite a few times in the Bible. I think that the number is 97, but I am open to any corrections on it. Many church services offer the peace of the Lord to worshippers during the liturgy. The congregation usually has a response to that, so the given peace is offered back to the one who is leading or presiding at the time. While this is well and good, there is more often than not a lack of good preaching on the whole concept of peace from within the Christian theological perspective. This does not mean that nothing has been written or said about peace. A lot indeed is available, but given the background of the times in which we are currently living, it would be helpful for teachings about peace to be given alongside of the calls and prayers for peace that are currently occurring. When the invasion of the Ukraine, indeed before it began, many international church leaders began to call for peace to be exercised by everyone involved. The Archbishop of Canterbury not only published prayers for peace, but also called for peace to be a focus at Sunday services. Both the Patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church and the Primate of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church called not only for peace, but urged both sides to come to the negotiating table to discuss their differences in order to sort them out. Pope Francis took the step of making his call for peace in Russian via Twitter and made the effort to personally call on the Russian ambassador to Italy to express his concerns. In Australia, church leaders have made similar calls and have issued prayers for peace to be said, both publicly and privately. This is good and comes on the back of similar entreaties from political leaders from around the world. It is, though, one thing to call for peace and to ask God to bring God's peace to our world. But what does it mean? What is that peace that everyone is asking for? Is it a common peace or is it more individual? For Christians, the main source of peace is, of course, God. That is why God's peace, or the peace of God, is more often mentioned than, say, the peace offered by a particular preacher, or that offered by a congregation. Both are there, 
but the ultimate source is, as I have said, from God. After all, Jesus in the Gospel offers his peace to the disciples. My peace I leave you, he says, indicating that perhaps this peace is a lasting one, rather than occurring in the moment and ending immediately the situation changes. Churches have wrestled with this for centuries. This is mainly due to the unfortunate tray of humans to be everything but bearers of peace. If members don't show God's peace to the world, how can the organisation do it alone? Within the background of the current war between Russia and the Ukraine is the simmering tension between the two churches that has been going on for many years, if not centuries. Yet both are members of the modern ecumenical movement and have been practically since its inception. This has led me to the question about how two churches within the ecumenical movement can cope with the situation that their nations are at war with each other. Do they ignore each other's presence? Or do they talk with each other within ecumenical gatherings, but not anywhere else? It is still early days for this one, but I cannot help but wonder on what will eventually happen, as events continue to unfold, often on an hourly basis. It is one thing, though, to call for peace on the world stage. That is important and illustrates how elusive and fragile that peace is when we talk about it between nations. Back when the church was in its infancy, there was talk about peace as well. The Roman Empire talked about peace. In fact, it proclaimed to have brought peace to the areas in which it made its presence felt. Unfortunately, it was a forced peace backed by a very strong military presence. Is this the type of peace that leaders are calling for at the moment? If so, I don't think it will last or even be effective. I think we need to look at peace in a different way and with a more theological light. God has never inflicted anything on humanity or creation. The scriptures indicate the opposite. God's offer of peace is unconditional and lasting, as indicated by what Jesus said via the Gospel pages. This is important to recognise as we move into where I feel the elusive and fragile gift will have the most benefit and be more influential. Behind the official lines are, of course, the ordinary people, who are not politicians, but have to bear the brunt of political decisions, including declarations of war, or the decision to invade a neighbouring country. They are also the ones whose homes are inundated by floodwaters, and whose businesses have been affected, if not destroyed, by natural disasters. In the midst of everything that is happening, where is the peace that churches and others are proclaiming? How can it affect my life, they ask, when everything around me, everything I have known, the life I have built up, how can peace be found in such a horrendous situation? God's gracious gift of peace needs a lot of nurturing if it is to penetrate the issues faced by many people in different ways at the moment. After all, if we as individual people are not at peace with ourselves or anyone else, how can that translate to the wider stage without sounding like a word that we say, but has not attainable meaning? This is the heart of our dilemma. We want peace for ourselves, our community and our nation. But how does it occur when we really are not at peace with ourselves? The two offences I've referred to, one an international conflict and the other a local natural disaster, gives churches, especially those within the ecumenical movement, 
an opportunity to offer many things to assist those whose lives have been cruelly affected by both tragedies. Some have already swung into action by offering the practical necessities such as food, clothing, shelter, and in one case, SIM cards to enable people to contact loved ones or just keep in contact with each other. There are other avenues I feel churches could explore during these times. The COVID restrictions of the past two years prevented churches and Christians from opening their doors and homes as places of sanctuary and comfort. As these restrictions are being reduced or withdrawn, the ability to offer spaces that enable people to come to reflect and be quiet away from the hurly-burly of what is happening around them. These spaces can allow people a time to reflect and regroup, as well as gathering their strength to go back out to face the challenges that lie ahead. What's this got to do with Jesus and God, you may ask? Jesus set the pattern by withdrawing to quiet places to collect his thoughts and to, dare I say it, just rest and take time out. The amount of time he spent pursuing these moments of solitude obviously varied depending on the situation. Even a few moments of quiet can assist someone to have a more positive and peaceful approach to the situation at hand. So far, prayers have been both offered and encouraged, and rightly so. However, some thought could be given to encouraging the provision of quiet places, where people, as they want to, can come and spend a bit of quiet time. While there are many churches who are probably doing this with their own buildings and facilities, there may be a way of offering a mobile space that can be quickly set up and moved around as needed. I attended an Ash Wednesday service at a church nearby and saw a sign inviting anyone who wished to come into the parish building and not only to have a quiet cuppa, but also they could recharge their mobile phone if needed. I hope there were some who were able to take up this very generous invitation to have a bit of peace and quiet along with a friendly face and ear in the midst of a flood cleanup. It doesn't have to be big or very elaborate, but just being there may assist many who are searching for a little spot of peace to gather their strength and equilibrium. I'm not suggesting anything that is radical or new, simply something that doesn't seem to be apparent in the current mood of things, but may be useful as time goes by. While the practical things of food and shelter and clothing are important, so is the soul and spirit to a person's well-being. Fear is our biggest enemy in stressful situations. We worry about how we're going to survive or how we're going to replace the things that are lost. Worry about the future and what will happen next are very high on the fear agenda. Words about peace are useless unless they are backed up by some practical actions coupled with words of encouragement. Stories are important in this respect. Gathering these stories takes time, but gives us a record of what has occurred as well as bringing hope to those who come after. Peace, then, can take many twists and turns. When we think we have found it, something happens that changes the complexion of the whole situation. It then takes a while to regain the peace or sliver of it that we were looking for and thought we had gained. This is why it is both elusive and fragile. It sometimes lasts a while, while on the other hand it may last no more than a couple of minutes. 
The ecumenical movement is in a prime position to take a lead in promoting peace in all its dimensions. It is more than stopping a war or providing practical aid in a crisis, as important as they are. It is also reminding the world that the soul and spirit have a role to play in giving people some inner peace and strength to keep going within their particular situations. In effect, it is promoting peace in all its totality, while reminding the world that without peace, the world is a fearful place that offers no hope except to those whose power is fearfully derived. This is what is happening in the Ukraine and Russia at the moment. Everyone is waiting to see what happens next, but the hope is that the people of the Ukraine can hold their nerve, despite the temptation to give in to fear and lose all optimism. This is also true in regard to natural disasters. People's resolve and courage are sorely tested when floods and storm damage keep coming at regular intervals. It is up to all people of faith to both assist and support practically and spiritually everyone who has lost so much during the storm and flood season. These are some of the reasons that peace is both fragile and elusive. As people of peace, we've been given the challenge by God to make peace a central part of our inner being, as well as being willing to offer what, whatever support, both practical and spiritual, that we can. It is by putting our faith into various forms of action that the well-being of our communities are strengthened and made ready to face the next crisis whenever it occurs. Thanks for listening to this edition of Ecumenical Musings. You may not agree with everything I've mused on, but I hope it has given you more food for thought on this important topic. I'm Richard Tewton, and I look forward to your company on another occasion.